Would you open your Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll be, Lord willing, concluding our series this morning on the foundations of stewardship. And then we'll be in the book of Nehemiah next week. That's where we're headed next. I know I've been promising you that for a long time, but finally, next week, Nehemiah. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. Paul writes, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. Each one must do as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad. He gave to the needy. His righteousness stands forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all generosity, which through us is bringing about thanksgiving to God. Father, this morning we come before you and... Having just read your word, we pray that you would help us to understand clearly what this text says, and that we would be quick to trust you for the promise of it, that you would be honored among us, that you would be honored in our giving, and that you would be honored among us in our giving again. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Well, as I said a moment ago, today is the last sermon on this series of financial stewardship. We've seen so far two foundations of giving. The first is we give because we have a transformed heart, a transformed heart. We saw the woman in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. She had formerly been a prostitute whose heart had been changed because she came to faith in Christ. She had been saved out of a life of extreme immorality. There was no hope for her apart from salvation by faith in Christ alone. So great was her thanksgiving that she could not help but pour out everything to Christ, including that which was likely most dear to her. And because of her salvation, all she had and all she was now were the property of Christ. No one else could have her anymore. Her existence now was fully wrapped up and set apart the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for all that He had done for us, we owe Him everything. He has given us new hearts, and so because of that transformed heart, we give. Second, we saw last week that God owns everything. We give because God owns everything. Uh, in, in fact, He has created it all. It is His. We saw this in Psalm 24. All that we have belongs to Him by right that He is Creator and King of it all. And the one who worships Him rightly is the one who sets Himself apart in holiness for Yahweh. And so we belong to Him from the inside out. 
Everything about us is His, including all of our possessions are His. All of us, from the heart to the hands, is His. We saw at the end of the psalm that one day He is returning to take His place as King and to claim all that belongs to Him. So we give because God owns everything. This morning, the third foundation that we see of stewardship, and I want to change the title that's up there for this morning's sermon, we're going to call this a trusting heart, a trusting heart. So today we're returning to the issue of the heart, and really what Paul addresses in this text is the attitude in the heart of the one who gives. Oh, this person's heart is transformed, as we've said before, and the Lord is worthy of all that we are, as we saw last week, but because of that, we should always desire to give extravagantly to Him. But in this text, Paul goes deeper. And here he especially or specifically addresses what is to be our heart, what is to be our thinking with regard to giving. In 2 Corinthians, in the book of 2 Corinthians, here in chapter 8 and now in chapter 9, Paul is seeking to motivate the Corinthian church to give. And in that, he brought their attention to the giving of the Macedonian Christians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-3, to Paul writes to the Corinthians, speaking of the Macedonians, he says, Now, brothers, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the richness of their generosity, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And then he goes on in verse 4 to tell the Corinthians how the Macedonian Christians even begged Paul for the opportunity to give and to keep giving more even when they had gone beyond their ability. And in chapter 8, verse 10, through chapter 9, verse 5, Paul appeals to the Corinthians directly to give generously to the work of ministry. And now in chapter 9, verses 6 and following, the text we read just a moment ago, Paul needs to address their hearts. Why? Well, often when it comes to giving, we operate and give on the basis of fear as opposed to faith. What do I mean by that? Well, this gets pretty personal. See, the fear that I'm talking about is this. If I give, then I might not have enough financial resources to meet my own personal needs. Or worse yet, I don't give because then I can't have all of my wants. Which is obviously then to place things above your worship to the Lord. Giving is an act of worship. Worship of the Lord is to take the priority of our lives. And when we refuse to give or even to give meagerly because we won't be able to spend our money on our wants, then we've placed our wants over our worship, which is to make an idol of our wants. And in reality, what this comes down to, what this really is, is a fear that God won't provide for us. So as we look at the text, one of the main things I want you to see this morning, the central idea of the text, is God will abundantly provide for the one who gives generously with integrity of heart and cheerfully. 
And I want you to see that this morning in three headings. And the first one is this, a heart of expectation, a heart of expectation. Look at verse 6. Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing." Now, before we even really dive into this text and address this text, I need to unteach what you may have heard in the past. Because a great deal of damage has been done to a right understanding of this text by charismatic preachers. Men like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland or Creflo Dollar, first you must understand those men are false teachers. They are heretics. And they would take a passage like this and they would twist its meaning severely and they would claim that it, that it teaches that if you give sacrificially specifically to their ministry, then God will bless you extravagantly. They say things like God exists to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. That is the purpose for God to even exist in their mind. This is, of course, deeply twisted. It's a messed up view of giving that has only selfishness at its core. They tell people that you need to give and that you keep doing it faithfully and God will one day give you your quote-unquote breakthrough. Anybody ever hear that before? This is shot through with prosperity preaching. And it is in much of contemporary Christian music today. In fact, that theology dominates in the contemporary Christian music world today. Keep praying, keep giving to them, and of course, God will make you rich. That is selfish beyond imagination. God's not interested in that. If any of you this morning give to their ministry, you must stop immediately. They often abuse this text to justify exactly what I've just said. They will tell you that giving to them is, quote, sowing a seed, close quote. And right here, the text says that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. So, sow big. In fact, sow everything you've got to them. Give it all to them so God will make you rich. Then all your dreams will come true. What does the Bible say about that? James chapter 4, verse 3, James says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, even in New Testament times, people were asking God for material blessing. They were asking Him for money so that they could simply spend it on their pleasures, on their wants, as we were talking about earlier. Clearly, that is to elevate your wants to the level of an idol. Now, what, are they, what, what should those people who ask on that basis expect to receive from God? And the answer is nothing. Listen to the very next verse in James chapter 4. James 4.4, 4, James says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. These are people who have adulterated themselves to money in the pursuit of things and the pleasures of the world. And they have raised those to the level of worship in their heart and are committing spiritual adultery. 
God does not exist to make you wealthy or to fulfill your every whim. He's not a cosmic genie that if you rub his lamp rightly or just say magic words just right, then he must do whatever you want. That is a blasphemous view of God. And it turns all of life upside down. That makes you God and God your slave. So can you begin to see the disgusting nature of this heresy? And didn't we already learn when we saw the woman in Luke chapter 7 that we're to give to God out of a heart of gratitude because God has given us Christ. He has given our salvation. He has saved us from His wrath. He has guaranteed heaven to us and we will inherit everything in Christ. What more is there for God to give us? It is, in fact, anti-Christian to say that we will have our best life now. Beloved, if this is as good as it gets, we're in trouble. Our best life will be when we're with God for all eternity. And even then, it's not best because of the things that we have. It's the best because we are in His presence and we have full joy of fellowship with Him forever. There is nothing in creation ever that can be better than Him. In this life, we have trouble. But I'm here to tell you there's something way better coming when we're with Him. So you can't settle for the cheap substitute of this life that your flesh would love to give into. So whatever this text teaches about giving, it's not to have a selfish purpose or a selfish end in mind. You do not give in order to get. This is not a divine get-rich-quick scheme. The end of that is only the result, the end result of that, rather, is only the love of money. And you know that the Scripture says that is a root of all kinds of evil. God wants no part of that. Selfishness is always wrong. So then the question becomes, well, what does this text teach about giving? What does this text teach us about giving? And Paul is really teaching us about what our heart attitude is to be toward it. Now in verse 6 he uses a very simple proverb. It's based on the principle, or rather on the simple truth that is undeniable. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. The word sparingly means scanty or meager in manner. And the idea is to be stingy with God. Stingy with God. Stingy with and in what you give. It means to be frugal in your giving, and since we are in New England, we might even call it, dare I say, Yankee giving. In farming, when you are sowing or when you are planting, if you put too few seeds into the ground, you do not have a good harvest. I remember as a child growing up on my parents' farm, the importance uh, every year when Dad would fill the planter with seed, whether it was corn or beans. He would always adjust the, 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 the different settings and the plates within the planter so that exactly the right amount of seed would be dropped into the ground to ensure that we would have a proper harvest. And the more seeds you plant up to a certain point, the more plants it will grow. The more plants that grow, then the greater your harvest. The farmer that skimps on seed will have a poor harvest. And so what Paul is describing here is a heart attitude. And it has very little to do with actual dollar amounts. 
Instead, it's about how you view giving to the Lord's work. And when we talk about giving sparingly, that's a really good translation because this is a person who asks, what can I spare to give to God? After I've taken care of all of my needs and all of my wants, what do I have that's left over? What's Paul saying here? If you give God your leftovers, don't be surprised when you receive little blessing from Him. Conversely, the Apostle Paul tells us, if you sow well, if you sow generously, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. The Legacy Standard Bible translates this, if you sow with blessing, you will reap with blessing. And the reason it translates it that way is because the Greek word here is eulogia. Literally, it means blessing. It means to speak in favorable terms, to act or, uh, to act or the benefit of a blessing, a generous gift or a bounty. This is a gift freely and generously given such that it blesses the recipient. Do you see the difference in the hard attitude? Sparing, meager giving is, oh, it's time for the offering. I'll pull out my billfold and see what I've got left over. Or what I haven't intended for anything else. Giving with blessing is I desire to bless the heart of God. So I will give generously. I will give abundantly to his work. And so the principle is this. If you give little, you will reap little. If you give with a heart to bless God, then God will give with a heart to bless you. If you sow to bless the heart of God, then you will reap with blessing from God. Now understand that this principle rises above the actual amounts given. To the person that gives $50 and that's a great sacrifice, then that person has sown bountifully. While someone else might be giving on a Sunday morning and they drop $5,000 into the plate and they didn't, don't even know that they've given anything as far as their bank account is concerned. In that case, the $50 is sown as a blessing, and the $5,000 was sown meagerly. Are you following? The point is, God knows the heart of the giver. And so we give with expectation. We give to God with a generous heart of joy and know that God honors that gift. God will bless that. And you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I get that. I understand what verse 9 is saying. I understand what you're saying now. But how is that different from what the charismatic preachers teach? How do the things about selfishness that you talked about earlier apply here? That is an excellent question, and the answer is coming. Hang on. For now, you need to know that we do not give to get for you. And there is nothing of selfishness in giving. Now, before we go on, I want to give you just a quick word about two other issues. Two other issues. Two questions that I often get as a pastor. And the first one is this. How much should I give? Or, what percentage should I give? My answer to that is give generously. You say, no, uh, pastor, I'm serious. How much? What percentage? My answer is give generously. Give to bless the heart of God. That's what Paul is saying here. You give to bless the heart of God. 
See, me giving you a number for for your giving or a percentage for your giving only serves to do this. It only serves to limit you. And whether that number is 5%, 10%, 20%, or 50%, if I stand here and set some expectation, the danger that arises from that is the danger of legalism. And you go home and say, well, I gave the percentage that pastor said to give to God, so God is pleased and and I've done my part. I won't be a party to that kind of legalism. That's what that is. Generous, even extravagant giving from a heart that seeks to bless God is never wrong. And you will never reach heaven and be reprimanded by God for giving more. Your giving, also for that matter, shouldn't be limited by the church budget either. Don't set your giving on that basis. What do I mean by that? Well, there are those who say, well, the church budget looks like it's met. I don't need to give anymore. That is ridiculous. That's an utterly unbiblical way of thinking. Where in any of the principles that we've talked about or looked at from the Scriptures in any of the last three weeks has a church budget ever come into anyone's consideration in Scripture who is a biblical author? It doesn't even enter the picture. We give to bless the heart of God. That's the point. We sow with blessing. We sow with bounty. And you know if what you've given blesses the heart of God or if you could do better. You know if you've been meager in your giving or if you haven't been. So that first issue is how much, what percentage, my response, bless the heart of God with your giving. Second question, where should I give my offering? Where should I give my offering? And and I don't mean online versus in-house or anything like that. I'm not talking about that at all. But the question comes to me, where should I give my offering? And it's shocking to me how many people ask this question. And the reason that it's shocking to me is because there is one institution, not many, one, that God has promised to build and bless. Anybody know what that is? His church. You're right. There is one institution that God has promised to build and bless, and that is His church. And what has He said about His church? He said that the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against it. That's Matthew 16, 18. There is one place, one institution that ministers to you through local elders and cares for your soul. That's Hebrews 13, 17. There's one place that practices the one another's of the Scripture. And that's the place where your giving should go, and that place is the local church. The local church is God's plan A. In fact, the local church is God's only plan. He never said, I I will build my parachurch and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, did he? I will build my church. So he never promised that the parachurch would prevail against anything or even as blasphemous as some of you may think this statement is going to sound, or even any missions organization. Now, many of those ministries are good. 
Many of those ministries do great work, and they are worthy of your consideration for giving. But your first place for giving, your primary place for giving, your place for giving what you have set aside to give should be through your local church, and whatever else you want to give needs to be above and beyond that. In the New Testament, all giving is through the local church. That is the only thing the New Testament has in view with regard to giving. That's the pattern. And whatever you've purposed to give, the Lord should go there. Anything else is above and beyond. And it's not bad to go above and beyond. In fact, it's great and it's good. And I encourage it. All right? That's the heart of expectation. The heart of expectation. Second this morning, I want you to see a heart of intention. A heart of intention. Look at verse 7. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. In this verse, the Apostle Paul assumes that you are giving. The idea is not if you give, it is when you give. And the clear implication of the text is that each person has to have uh, thought this through. Verse 7, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart. The word purpose there means to reach a decision beforehand. That is what you have committed yourself to. So there is intent, there is choice, there is purpose. There is a thinking through the process. In other words, I have thought through what I am going to give, and our heart is the core of our thinking. It is where giving originates. So from out of my heart, I want to bless God's heart. That's the principle from verse 6. From out of my heart, I want to bless God's heart, and this is what I have determined would give him joy, would demonstrate that he is God over my money, and I worship him with it, but I do not worship the money. And I have determined that I would give X amount of dollars will bless the heart of God. And I have proposed, or rather purposed that beforehand. I have brought it. And at the right time in our worship, I will give it. And so this is personal. And it comes out of the heart of the individual. Right giving originates from the heart with purpose and thought. Just like the woman from Luke chapter 7 proposed to give to Jesus her entire being and the most precious of what she owned, so also should our giving come from the heart. So giving is not an afterthought. It's not reach into your billfold or your pocketbook when the plate happens to be dropping by and drop in whatever I feel like. This is an intentional part of worship that I plan for in advance. And once planned for, once determined in the heart, then I must carry it out. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. This is the worship of God with my finances. Even that part of me is to be submissive to the Lordship of Christ. So giving is voluntary, but it reveals much about my heart. And it shows that even my money is submissive to God. Giving is not careless. It is not an afterthought. And like every other part of worship, it's to be done decently and in order. 
Like every other part of worship, it's to originate in an intentional heart of love and does not happen because of external pressure. Giving is done with prayerful consideration, with intent. Believing this particular gift that I have thought through is the best course of action and worship for me and for my family. Now next in verse 7, Paul gives us two characteristics that are not to characterize our giving or not to describe our giving. Number one, he says, not grudgingly. Not grudgingly. That word means with pain of mind or spirit. In other words, we don't give out of grief or sorrow. We don't give with an attitude of remorse or sorrow that we are being parted from that money. Mourning is not to be part of your giving. One way to look at it is this is not money that I uh, need for food or render utilities or appropriate clothing. In other words, the basic needs of life. We shouldn't be giving away that. We shouldn't weep with anguish over what we're giving because it removes God's provision for our basic needs. In other words, he's provided for you for your basic needs, so use your resources to purchase those basic needs. Those he's promised to provide. I would counsel you to not give away those things. Second, giving is not to be under compulsion. It is not to be under compulsion. This is pressure or constraint or legalistic external pressure. It's the kind of thing I was talking about earlier. God does not threaten you, nor does he pressure you to give. What you give does not come because I or anyone else tells you what to give. It should come from a heart motivated by love for God. Giving, like all other actions, must originate from the heart, from the inside out. And when we're not giving from that kind of pressure, when we're not giving with obligatory motives, then what remains is to give out of joy. That's what the Lord loves. So you see, this verse is a promise. In other words, when you give from a heart that loves the Lord and has thought through and purposed beforehand what would bless Him, and when you give from a heart that is not grudgingly or a heart that's being compelled or forced to do it, then out of that giving heart of love to God, God responds to that with love. The text says, what about God? That He loves a cheerful giver, doesn't it? So when you give Him a heart of Love, when you give rather from a heart of love for God, what you receive in return from God is love. And that's when your giving is worship, when it is joy, when it is love. And that receives love from God in return, Paul tells us. That's cheerful giving, and it's not just a budget item. It's a way to express your joy in the Lord. And let me just say this morning, if you are not giving at all, you can't know that joy, nor do you experience that particular kind of love from the Lord. I'm not saying that the person who's not giving isn't experiencing any love from the Lord. Clearly, for those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, He has shown you love in the person of Christ. He continues to show you love every day by providing for your needs. He continues to show you love in many ways by even giving you brothers and sisters in Christ to be an encouragement to you. And there's 
myriads of ways that we could talk about the love of God being shown to you. I'm talking about the specific kind that Paul mentions in this text. And if you're not a cheerful giver, then you don't experience that. Some of you give sacrificially and, and know exactly what I'm talking about. Some give and know that you could give more and experience this in a limited way. Some don't give at all and do not know this love from God at all. You are forfeiting that kind of joy in your life. Verse 6 spoke of sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly. Sowing with blessing and reaping with blessing. That, this cheerful giving leads to the blessing and the love of God. And that's the greatest blessing that you can have. To know that God is blessed and He responds to your gift with love. You want to maximize your joy in and from the Lord. And you can't do that without this component. It is foundational to the Christian life. This is a heart of intention. Third, this morning, I want you to see a heart of abundance. A heart of abundance. This is verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, And God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave it to the needy. His righteousness stands forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all generosity, which through us is bringing about thanksgiving to God." Remember earlier we said we'd address this question of the purpose of our giving? Well, these verses are it. And once you see this, you can't unsee it. It is impossible to miss how Paul is stressing the sufficiency of what God provides in these verses. Again, I draw your attention. Look at verse 8. Every grace abound to you, everything at every time, every sufficiency, abundance for every good deed. Verse 9, speaking about God himself, he scattered abroad, he gave. Verse 10, God will supply and multiply your seed. He will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all generosity. And that all results in thanksgiving. In other words, it results in glorifying God. Now, I need to prepare you for what you're about to hear. And this is perfectly opposite to that Yankee mindset we talked about earlier. And it may be opposite to everything you are familiar with, you've been familiar with for most of your life. And you need to see the purpose of your giving. And what God does with your giving and generosity when it comes from a cheerful heart of love. So watch this. You need to understand that you cannot outgive God. You cannot. It's impossible. See, when you give to bless the heart of God to work to the work of the local church, and you have a well thought out gift of blessing, when you give that gift with cheerfulness, God will respond. And what is his response? That's what we find in verses 8 through 11. The text tells us that he will make 
every grace abound to you. And in fact, the word there where he says he's able to make every grace abound, able is the word for power. It's the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. He has power to make every grace abound to you. You give in grace, he responds in grace. And what's the purpose of his response of grace? Verse 8, so that in everything, that's every part of life, at every time, that means all the time, having every sufficiency, meaning you will have all you need for all of life, and you will have then an abundance for every good deed. What does this mean? You give to bless the heart of God, God will bless you. You reap a harvest from that sowing. What is the harvest? You will have every grace in abundance for everything at every time for every good deed. The text tells us that God will multiply the seed that you have sowed. He will give it back to you. And what's the purpose of the abundance which God gives back? It is not so that you can take that abundance then and spend it selfishly on your pleasures as James reminds us. It is not so that you can take it then and have an opulent lifestyle. It's purpose is so that you will have an abundance to use for every good deed. Are you following? In other words, you give generously, God multiplies it so that you reap an abundance and the purpose of that harvest is to be a blessing to others. Do you understand? Through your giving, God makes you a channel, a conduit through which his blessing flows to others. So this is not the twisted charismatic prosperity gospel of I give so I can selfishly get. This is I give, God returns it multiplied so I can give his blessing then to others. It's his power put to work which accomplishes that. And God desires to use his people as channels, as conduits of blessing. If you give generously with a heart of love to bless God, then you should, Paul tells us, expect God to make His grace abound to you. And in that grace, He provides monetarily. And when He provides monetarily, then you, you, then you have all sufficiency for all that you need. And then you have all sufficiency for all, when you have all sufficiency for all that you need, you are in a position to abound in every good work to give to others and to increase your giving to the local church. The wisdom of man says prosperity comes from holding tightly to your wealth. Faith believes that God's promise to bless the one who gives so that he is able to bring that blessing to others. This is God giving back magnanimously so that you have all sufficiency and from that position of blessing you bless others. To drive that point home, Paul quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. That's what verse 9 of this text is. He scattered abroad. He gave to the needy. His righteousness stands forever. That's the act of God in His giving. And what's the point? Paul says this is God doing what He has always done. He's quoting Psalm 112, verse 9 here so that you can understand this is not some New Testament principle that's never existed before. Paul's saying this is always how God has worked. And then he goes on in verse 10 to quote Psalm 55, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food... 
will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is who God is. This is how He works. He gives seed to the sower. He gives bread for food. And that same God multiplies your seed giving to bless that you've given to bless His heart. And the end result is to be, will be the increase of your harvest of righteousness. And as if that weren't enough, look at verse 11. You will be enriched in everything for all generosity. Why are you enriched in everything? For all generosity, which through us is bringing about thanksgiving to God. Here it is in simple terms. You are enriched in everything for all generosity. You are enriched so you can be generous, not selfish. And the final result, verse 11, is the one who is blessed by God gives thanks to God. In other words, the one who is blessed by God glorifies God. So here's the challenge. Do you have the faith to believe that what Paul said is true? If you do, it will be reflected in your giving. This is not about church budgets or some fear you have that the church somehow will have too much money to to do the work of ministry. It's not about how thrifty you can be with the Lord's money. It's about giving to God to the max in order to bless His heart. He loves the cheerful giver who gives not because of compulsion or with a grudge, but because he loves and wants to bless God. And God returns the blessing multiplied so you can be a generous conduit of that blessing of God to others. And the end result of that giving cycle is God is glorified. So give magnanimously to God with a right heart. And he will give love and shower material blessing so that you can be generous to him and to others. That results in the thanksgiving and praise to God. And the default heart of the Christian is to be generosity, it is to be grace, it is to be love and thanksgiving. Our desire should want to be to be generous. Our desire should want to be to help others. Our desire should want to be to give to the greatest extent of our ability. And then we give thanks for his amazing provision. That's what Paul tells us in this text. Father, we thank you this morning for the word that you have given us, for the boldness of the Apostle Paul as he pleads with the Corinthians to be faithful and generous, consistent, intentional in their giving. Father, we acknowledge this morning that this may be very different from what we've heard about giving in the past. Very different from what we've been told to base our giving on.
But Father, we understand that you have given to us so that we can be generous to you and generous to others. Father, help us to become, make us the channel, the conduit of blessing to your people, to the world as we support the work of the gospel that you might be glorified among us, that it would result in the thanksgiving and the praise and the glory to you that Paul speaks of here. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.